If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Live from the Trade King podcasting stage at FinCon 2015, I've got the CEO himself, Mr. Don. It's time for Radical Personal Finance. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. And today we have Don with us. Welcome, Don. Hi, I'm Don Montero, CEO of Trade King. Really excited to be on the, the show, Joshua. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to rib you about your personal life. I'm going to grill you on your company. We're going to solve all the problems of the financial world today. Sit back, relax. Here we go. What are we going to do after those 10 minutes? <laughs> So, Don, as we, as we begin here, I'm going to start by a, a big thank you. Not only are we here on the Trade King stage, you're a major sponsor here of uh, FinCon. Uh, I also think I ate about three pounds of your pork last night at, uh, at the big giant party that you, that you guys hosted. You wound up, you planned a party for, you said, 400 people and you had 600 people show up? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that's. That's a good thing, except when you're trying to get everybody fed really quickly. Yeah, so, uh, it was a bit of a line. But how no. many pigs did the uh, did the barbecue people wind up uh, killing for the event? We had two pigs that were north of 250 pounds, and we had uh, 400 or 500 chickens. I think that we is, through. yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. The vegetarians are crying. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. rather unfortunate. And, and that's but... not mentioning the mountain of, of pork <laughs> rinds, etc. Yeah, it was a fun time. We're so excited to have FinCon here in Charlotte and have Charlotte recognized as the financial services innovation hub. That that I really think it is for the East Coast. Right. Yeah. Right. So, are you? You guys are based here. Or? Our headquarters is in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Okay. Uh, which Near is me. my home. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I live I know, in West Palm Beach. Yeah, yeah. I know you're a Floridian as well. Yeah. So, uh, but I split my time between here and Charlotte. Okay. This is our second location, but we're growing much faster here. We have about two thirds of our employees are here. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to grill you today, and uh, I hope you know what you're getting in for. I'm uh, ready. Bring I, it. I, I hope you brought your A game. But I want to start with a little bit of your personal story, and I would love to know how did you become the rich and successful. CEO of a major trading company. Like, what was your career path? Well, we all know rich is a relative term, so I don't. <laughs> I, 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 it's a long way before I ever apply that that to myself. I certainly uh, have some wealthy investors. Uh, right. I'm, I'm proud of that. I started. Uh, uh, I went to undergraduate school at Notre Dame. Okay. I went to law school at Catholic U in Washington, D.C. And about halfway through law school, I realized I didn't want to be a lawyer. Uh, but I finished, and I moved out to California and passed the bar. And the reason I moved to California was I had an interest in uh, the stock market. And I had a friend who uh, could get my foot in the door at a brokerage firm there. Right. And in particular, they were one that was just starting in the early 90s with online trading, with giving customers access through what way back when was CompuServe on okay. a 2400. 
400 baud modem. Okay. And I took a job, much to my parents' chagrin, as I passed the bar exam in California, I took a job for $8 an hour working in the mailroom at a brokerage firm to get my foot in the door. Wow. And I worked, I, I opened. After the law degree, you took a job for $8 an hour working in the mailroom. It's true. And I, I <laughs> believe me, I opened the fastest envelope anybody has ever opened. <laughs> and uh, really kicked butt in the mailroom. And it was a, it was a company culture at a company called Quick and Riley that I've really, we've tried to emulate uh, myself and, and my team through a couple of iterations and, and now proudly the owners of Trade King. Uh, was that the same company that is now Trade King? No, no. It was okay. a company called Quick and Riley. I worked there for a few years. Ultimately, was lucky enough to be put in charge of their electronic trading. Mm-hmm. Uh, so launched Touchstone Trading and Software Trading, put Quick and Riley on the internet. Uh, then had the idea that uh, customers deserved a much better price. If they were committed to just doing their financial services primarily through electronic channels, they should get a much better price. So I right. launched uh, another company called Sure Trade that was a subsidiary of Quick and Riley that later got bought along with Quick and Riley by Fleet Bank. Uh, but I was lucky enough to run that for a few years. It didn't really like the big bank world. Uh, when Bank of America was coming in to buy Fleet, myself and most of my co-founders at Sure Trade kind of dispersed and did uh, a number of different things. I did some consulting for some stock exchanges, etc. We watched a tremendous wave of consolidation that happened after the dot-com bubble burst. Right, right. There used to be 100 online brokers. Right. It went down to five. Wow. So you got Schwab, Fidelity, E-Trade, Ameritrade, Scott Trade controlled 95-plus percent wow. of the online trading market. I think Ameritrade bought 40-something firms in wow. over three years. Huge consolidation. And what suffered, what we observed, me and my friends who were outside the industry or the specific niche of online trading, what we observed was that customer service had really gone away. When there's such a concentration of like an oligopoly mm-hmm. like that of just a handful of players controlling a market, they can, even without colluding, recognize, hey, nobody's answering the phone in under 10 minutes. Neither do we have to. And our bailiwick was always fantastic customer service at Quick and Riley, at SureTrade, really caring about people, really, and that being the difference. Because at the end of the day, if you pay $4.95 at Trade King to buy 10 shares or 50 shares of Apple or twice the price, nine ninety five at Ameritrade or 10 times the price, $100 at Merrill Lynch, right. it's the same 50 shares of Apple. Mm-hmm. Right? It's right. the same it's thing a, you're getting. Exactly. So the, the difference is, is if you're smart enough uh, or, or find resources that steer you to a better value and taking advantage of that value, and, and then it's around service. You know, who, who, who treats you better? So when you so you went from those two companies to Trade King, and you and a friend actually started it from scratch. Myself and six friends. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, bootstrapped it. We had friends and family money and our own money. Uh, we started the firm ourselves. Ultimately, we did take uh, venture capital and private equity investment to help us propel the growth. We started in 2005, and so we're having our 10-year anniversary wow. uh, this year. And it's just it's been an awesome run. And now we're just taking our company into the next. Uh, kind of stage of maturity of a financial services firm and getting into a little bit of advised relationship. So until now, every client of Trade Kings has uh, self-directed their investment for right. a great value proposition, $4.95 a trade or $0.65 cents a contract on top of that if you do option trading. Right. Uh, but we've noticed and learned that a number of our clients either don't have the time to spend, and you really do need to invest time in using our free education resources, uh, you know, paying attention to the market to really be a good shepherd of your own finances. They either don't have the time or have, have discovered and admitted to themselves that they're not good at it. Right, right. And they need some help. So we launched Trade King Advisors recently, which is a really great value advisory platform where you can go through either goals-based uh, planning process or uh, risk tolerance questionnaire, and then we'll help you get into a portfolio which we'll manage Again, backed by really great, caring, uh, and 
prompt and courteous customer service. We're, we're super proud of that. So have you been running the company from the beginning because you were... Fa- uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I've been CEO and, and uh, my co-founders are, are all still with the company. Seven of us. We're all still here. 10 wow. Years in. Yeah. And uh, we're now a company 150 or so people strong. We're just uh, announced an acquisition recently of a a California-based broker-dealer called MB Trading. The MB stands for Manhattan Beach. Uh, so we'll be getting up over 200 employees when we uh, finish integrating those two firms. Uh, and it's just been uh, such a wonderful, wonderful path. And we started the company with a motto, which is be good. Mm-hmm. And with the philosophy that we could do a good thing treat people really right, bring them a great value, and still have a profitable business. And those things don't have to be in conflict. People understand you're going to $4.95. That's what it is. You know, and, and it's a really fair price to do a transaction in, in no time and have great mobile apps, great, a great platform, free education. Uh, it's a great value, and, and we're proud to offer it. So I did a little bit of due diligence on you last night while uh, uh, talking with some of your Here employees. Comes. Here it comes. <laughs> and for some strange reason, they all seem to love you. And <laughs> at least the ones that I talked to had a lot of great things to say about you. So, and so uh, at least from my cursory due diligence, uh, I guess that's kind of a... Uh, a uh, oxymoron. Exactly, an oxymoron. You're not supposed to do cursory due diligence. From the few conversations that I had, to be accurate, uh, it seems like you're doing a good job. I'm interested to know... Well, I like them too. Yeah, there we go. Good. Well done. What has been the biggest challenge for you in your own personal development to go from working in a company as a mail, in a mailroom, working through these companies, to having the guts to found a company, to today leading it for the last 10 years. What's been the biggest changes that you've had to work through in yourself and your character in order to do that effectively? Uh, I, I guess it's really staying centered around who you are. And, and, and we like to say, I, I, I give my favorite talk that I give at our town hall meetings is... Uh, centered around what I call the three most important words in the English language, which are I don't know. Right. So we as a company, uh, me as a leader, me as a company, we embrace the, the truth and the reality that you can't grow if you don't say I don't know. Right. And while it might seem counterintuitive, saying I don't know, having the courage to say I don't know, not just to yourself, but to your partners, your teammates, your, your business partners, your colleagues, and importantly, to your customers, that is something that gains, that grows your confidence, that grows your credibility, doesn't make people lose confidence in you. So if a, a customer calls and asks us questions about self-directed investing or having an advised relationship, they ask a question, we answer it. They ask a question, we answer it. They ask a question, we answer it. They ask a question, we don't know the answer. We just as rapidly say, I don't know. Now, now it's, what you have to follow it up with is go run and find out right, right. and then share the answer with the people sitting around you. So we have this culture of, of learning and teaching and learning and teaching, and it just makes it really, really fun to, to grow. So as, uh, I guess it's a constant challenge, but it's not hard if you stay centered around those precepts as you go from seven people to 15 people and to now 150 and 200 people to really make it so that every single person in the organization walks and talks that reality and, and to keep that personality. While we're all individuals, we have a common core of beliefs that we center around and, and keeping that firm is, is, I think, the biggest challenge for any company is it scales. How did you learn that lesson? I learned that lesson... Uh, very early on when I got my first group of people that I could manage, my first office <laughs> that I really managed at, at Quick and Riley, and I had uh, about 60 brokers, had a real big uh, trading error that happened uh, uh, one day, and I was about a week into managing an office, and I, 
you know, when you take big jumps in your career, sometimes you have what they call an imposter complex, right? right you right. wake up every day and say, somebody's going to figure out that I shouldn't be doing this job. Right. I, I, you know, must be somebody smarter than me that can do this, right? And then this big error happened. It was the customer's fault, but we got stuck with a loss in a trade. And I didn't know what to do. And the market was closing in 30 minutes. And rather than stick my head under my desk and, and try and run from the problem, I called everybody I knew that was senior to me at headquarters and said, what do I do? I'm, we're 200 grand in the hole here. What happens? Knowing that, not, not even caring that, that might be my last day there. Really caring to do the best thing for the firm and just to be honest. And you don't lose sleep if you're honest like that and you just go at it. So that worked out so well. And, and I was rewarded as a leader at that firm for having raised my hand and said, I screwed up. I made a problem. I need help. And, and they said, that's how we know we can trust you with even more responsibility. So it was both my biggest challenging day, but also my biggest learning day to say, this is, this is, I love this path I'm on. And if I can build my own company this way, where just being honest is, is, a, is, is a virtue and an asset and, and can propel me and everyone else forward. Like, man, I sleep well at night and I think all my employees do too. You've, I would imagine, hired dozens, if not hundreds of people, uh, at least over the last 10 years with your company and before that. I'm interested to know, when you're interviewing candidates for a job, what are the biggest things that you're looking to see in them and in their character to connect them with an employment opportunity that you're offering? Yeah. So it, it differs a bit in different spaces, right? right. Dep- depending on the, on the company, uh, I mean, on the department within the firm. So certainly our technology guys, they have a whole, a, literally a skill set test of puzzles and, and things that they'll challenge people to solve a, a coding problem or something right on the spot during an interview. So there's a certain amount for certain roles of experience or technical expertise that you have to have to, to perform the functions of the job. But, but beyond that, we really are trying to see if you are, uh, have that, the proper balance of what we would say is courage and humility. So you really want to go, you believe in yourself, you know you can achieve more, yet you are willing to admit when you don't know something and you, need, you have an area you need to grow in. Mm-hmm. And you can look at a job description and say, I don't have every single thing you're looking for here, but that thing I don't have, I know I can learn it if you take a chance on me. That's the person I want, that, not the person that is, is full of themselves. You know, so we really try to find people that will adhere to that cultural core of honesty and, and, and you know, just being somebody that you, you spend more time at work than you do at doing anything else, really, right? So if you don't enjoy it and enjoy the people you do it with, then, man, it, what a terrible life it is, right? So I think everybody at Traking, I believe everybody at Traking, really enjoys what they do and enjoys the people we do it with. Right. And that's, that makes for a cool company. And you can sense that when you touch us through our customer service channels, email, social media, live chat, call us on the phone. Or you through know. your roast pigs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we want to do, do a nice thing, right? right? So we wanted that to be a really fun party. Not with us, you know, blaring Traking, Traking, Traking all night. You knew we sponsored it, but we wanted people to have a really genuinely honest good time. And I right. think it happened. Absolutely. That's what we wanted. And we think, you know, benefits accrue naturally. So think back over the last 10 years of running Trade King and consider, or in other previous companies, think of one or two people that you've promoted the fastest or have seen promoted the fastest and... For, and to whom, for whom you've increased their pay the fastest, mm-hmm. or you're aware of their increasing their pay the fastest. I'd like you to describe to me the character traits, the qualities, and the actions that those people took that brought them to your attention and resulted in their rapid advancement. What do they look like? 
they're a, a, a person that really is constantly striving to improve, that is trying to first learn because we're behind the scenes. We're, we're, we're a process company, right? There are steps that have to ta- be taken, and, and we're a regulated company, right? So there are very there are things that have to be done uh, just a certain perfect way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely perfectly an opening account, funding an account, making sure the person really is who they say they are, right. doing all those, those core things. You have to embrace all that stuff and do it perfectly and be striving to learn it, do it well, and improve it while you're striving for the next spot and at the same time teaching somebody behind you how to fill your seat. Because you can't move up. You know, a mentality that tries to create a, a long-term employment opportunity by, by hoarding knowledge you'll never move anywhere in Trade King. If you're the kind of person who tries to really share knowledge and make sure if you're called upon to take a step up, there's, there's somebody else that can hop in your chair and do it just as well as you with as much enthusiasm, and then you can move on. And we've had people, it, you can look at every department in our company, including technology, technology, product, marketing, compliance. All, they all have key members and leaders in their teams that started like I did in operations, in the mailroom, ground-level customer service, and worked their way up and moved from department to department, and, and they learned the business holistically because they're passionate about it. So I think you know, enthusiasm you know, beats almost anything else right. you know, <laughs> as, as a, core, a, a core quality to succeed. The, the comment about training your replacement and leading your replacement into that job is probably, I would say, the forgotten one. I, I don't think of that much, but it makes me just think of how you know John Maxwell in teaching about leadership always talked about that. Leadership is not in a title. Leadership is something that you do, and you don't have to wait for the title to be a leader. But one of the hallmarks of leaders is you've got to equip followers, and you've got to bring people in. And I appreciate you pointing that out because I don't think of much about about that, but if you want to be, no, no person and no business can scale without it. Right, you're right. right. You're, you can yeah. any one person can only do so much. So most of the really great accomplishments, I think, in history, are team accomplishments. Often a leader is recognized for whatever reason, but almost no leader can get anything done themselves. Yeah, right. And if 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 you want to get promoted. The idea of your being promoted, you're creating a problem for your boss because your boss has to fill your shoes. Yeah. So if you want to make it easy for your boss, train your replacement. Tell your boss, I've trained my replacement. I think I'm ready for responsibility. And when they agree that, yes, you are, they'll, they'll, they'll the, th- the they'll handle The saddest thing that can happen is a conversation at, at the company you work for that goes on about you in a room that you're not in talking about, hey, who's going to take this new role or this new responsibility? Someone brings up your name and someone else says, we can't give it to him or her because who's going to do their job? They're irreplaceable. And, and you don't know you missed a great opportunity by not being a coach. And you never, you, sometimes you never know that and that you were passed over, not because you couldn't do it, but because no one understood that someone was ready to do your job. Right. Right. So people, again, that you have to turn that fear around and be confident in yourself and confident in the company culture and do that and, and reach and teach. So I'd like to pivot and talk a little bit about the marketplace specifically of owning stocks and trading stocks. There's an image that's burned into our minds based upon what we see when they report the 
Dow Jones Industrial closing average at 5 o'clock every day of a trader on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange wearing one of the mesh coats, <laughs> looking completely yeah, exhausted. So if I go online and click the little button on my smartphone app with my, with my Trade King uh, smartphone app, uh, do you just pick up the phone and call the trader on the, on the trading floor and then they go ahead and wave their slips of paper in the, in the air and say, bye, bye, bye at 43? <laughs> Describe how the modern financial system, the clearing system works for the ownership of stocks. Lay aside options for a moment. Keep it simple with stocks. Sure. How does it actually work? Sure. How it actually works is you go to our app or to our website or however you want to interact with us. And, and if you're in your car and driving and you, you know, say OnStar call Trade King and want to talk to us over the phone and place a trade that way, you can do that as well. It's all 495. 99.9% of our trades get entered electronically. You send that trade. You click it. It enters a system that we've built that does... It, in milliseconds, checks to see whether the order is appropriate, whether you have the money to do it, whether you're approved for that kind of trade, does all the checks that a human broker would do that we've automated and coded over the over decades now as a team. It instantly processes it and figures out where the best place to route that order to is to get you the national best bidder offer or better. And often we can find a better price for you than the posted trade because markets are moving so quickly. Mm-hmm. It gets routed electronically, gets executed electronically, gets matched in an electronic book, either at an exchange or a market maker or wherever we've routed that order, and, and reported back electronically. And it happens so quickly that when you go from the screen that says, yes, trade, and then by the time you click back over to look at your positions, or your order status, if your order is, is at, at or near the market price, it's all that has already happened and the order is already there and, and in your portfolio and shows you the price you got. It happens that fast. So it, is not, it does not go to a human who's flapping his arms in a, in a, in a pit anymore. Those, the, the, there's still a role for those guys, but it's, it's, uh, typically they're on the other end of an institutional trade. Somebody who is saying over the next... M- month, I want to acquire 5% of that publicly traded company. Right. So then they're in the mix, literally trying to accumulate without being exposing that intention, trying to catch moments and then quickly accumulate. And sometimes they sell the to, to head fake and things like that, but they're an acquirer or an unloader of a position. And sometimes it's better to have a person with a feel doing that. So there is a role sometimes for a very large trade or trader to have a, a, somebody down in those physical pits, but it's shrinking over time. Is it possible to have any idea who's on the other side of a trade? Uh, you can, it is, it is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Typically, typically you won't. Uh, and, and it's who is on the other side of the trade initially doesn't necessarily become the final owner of, of the other side of the trade. So, uh, sometimes people are transacting because they're acquiring a large position to hedge something else. And then they roll that over. So it's, it's possible sometimes it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Why would you want to? Why well, you, no, yeah. it, I, it's just interesting to me. Do they call, do I have my terminology right? Do they call them, what is it, black pools? Where some dark, of the, pools. dark pools. Dark, dark pools. pools, yeah. Explain the concept of a dark pool. So the concept of a dark pool is if you take uh, that institutional large trader, for example. So let's say I'm Warren Buffett. Right. right, and I, w- I decide I want to buy more of a, a rail- publicly traded railroad company or something. Well, if I just go and go to Trade King's application or something, right, and, and enter an order to buy 20 million shares of a company that trades a million shares a day, well, by just exposing that order to, to the public markets, you have made it more expensive for you to buy that. 
because the demand is, is exposed and the price will move up accordingly. So more, it instantly shows the price of any, anything is balanced by supply and demand. So if you expose a very large demand you have to acquire something, that will drive up the price of, of sellers. They'll say, hey, somebody's trying to buy millions and millions of shares of this. We can, we can raise our sell prices. So the sales will go up. So dark pools are a way for somebody that wants to do a large transaction to be able to only expose little bits of that trade at a time. And it's, it's, it's again, it's something that used to happen all the time with human intervention. And pe- I think dark pools is an unfortunate name because it sounds devious sounds and dark. scary, right? It's, but I think it's you know, really valuable. Noir pool, pools right. or something, you know? Right. Like it's, right. like, but it's extremely valuable. And all, and all it was is a disintermediation because you used to call what we call a block trader, a human being, right. and say, hey, buy me 20 million shares of this thing over the cor- as soon as you can, but try not to move the price up. Right. So that human had that knowledge, and he would enter an order for 5,000 shares shares, see some action, enter one for 50000 the next day, and accumulate the position for you over time. A dark pool is just a programmatic way to do that. Yeah. I, in my mind, it's a good It's a good way. I haven't thought fully through the whole thing, but like, it seems like a value. I mean, imagine if you're running a multi-billion dollar mutual fund, and yeah. you're going to make a trade where you're going to be running millions and millions of dollars into a, into a stock, and if you expose that in the public uh, in the public systems, hey, there's a buy order for um, you know ten million dollars worth of shares. Well, all of a sudden, everyone's going to be you know running your shares up, and yeah. and, you, and your whole trade may fall apart. And think about on the sell side. So you you've carefully constructed an investment thesis, acquired. If you are running a mutual fund or something, you have many retail clients who own a small part of your fund or your ETF. Now you own millions of shares of X. Your investment thesis was right. It's moved up X percent in the window that you wanted it to. Now you want to realize that gain for yourself and your fund and all your individual investors. Same thing on the other side. If you expose, okay, now I'm done. I want to sell my huge position in IBM or AT&T or whatever it is. Well, by exposing that whole order, you drive the price down and you hurt yourself. You hurt all your clients. So you need to be smarter about your liquidations as well. You know, so, And that's true for Small and big traders, we like to say, uh, plan your trade and trade your plan, right? So you should you really want to have a, an entry and an exit strategy and, and hypothesis, a thesis before, before you get into something. You don't just buy a stock because you're a fan of it without an idea of what your expectation is. You should have a plan that says, I think this thing will go up 5% in a year, plus they pay a 3% dividend. That's an 8% return for me. I like my money there as opposed to over here. But, and, then, and then stick to your plan. If it's not moving the way you thought, thought re-examine and get out. Do you trade uh, accounts for yourself? I stink at it. Yeah, I'm really, I'm too emotional, right? So I do become a fan. So I, so I have, uh, you know, like, I love Apple. I love Apple products. Right, I love right. the company. I, 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 you know, I'm a early adopter of the watch and all their stuff, right? Uh, like, I love it. So I buy that stock. I can't talk myself into ever selling it. <laughs> I can't talk myself into ever selling it. I become like a fanboy. So I, I, my investments are mostly pa- passive investments in right. broad-based ETFs. And, and also, I'm busy. Like like many of my clients, I'm I'm busy all day long, interacting with folks like you, right. trying to build the business, talking to my shareholders, coaching my team. I don't have time to be staring at the market all the time. So for me, a, a broader based strategy that's more passive is more appropriate for me. How long does your average customer hold their again staking, saying specifically stocks here, not options? How long does your average customer hold their um, ownership on your platform? It, it really varies. We have people that will go in and out within a period of days, but we certainly have clients who have held positions their entire 10-year life with us. 
and I've been adding to those and collecting dividends and, and adding other stocks to their portfolios. They're really buy and hold people for, for the long term. Uh, so our, our, we don't, our clients aren't, we, we have true retail clients, people that are, that are your, your listeners, and that's why we have a tremendous affinity for this event and the people right, who, right. who come here because the people that you speak to and your voice resonates with, that's who our client is. They're not professional traders. They're not what's known as day traders. They have regular jobs that they're really good at. They've, acquired, they've accumulated a little bit of ex- excess capital, and they want to turn that money into more money towards some you know, noble goal for them and their family. I want to put my kids through college. I want to have enough money to make sure I can feed myself and my wife and my kids after I retire or if I get hurt and can't work anymore and can't earn. And, and they're great at what they do day to day, whether it's being a doctor, a school teacher, a plumber, a, whatever they might do with their normal job, a podcaster, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be great or have the time to invest all the time. So they appreciate the fact that you know, we have a website and mobile apps where they can do their work on the weekend, enter a limit order that will execute during the week. Or, or do things at night, and uh, but they're they're trading you know twenty thirty times a year, not thousands of times a year like a professional or a day trader. Do you think the average trader on your platform makes money? Yes. Yeah. Do you have any sense of like what their returns are? It, well, we only see the microcosm of what's held at Trade King, right? You know, so so we do we do track that and look at it, and if we see a client not doing well we we we're a rare firm in the online world where we will reach out we'll we'll give you a phone call and say hey we see you seem to be losing a couple thousand dollars a month and repeating what looks to us like it might be the same mistake over and over again and can we help you with some education or can we talk to you and about those calls get split about 50 50 between people who say oh gosh thanks so much like what What's the webinar I should look at? What do you think I should do? What do I need to learn? What am I missing? And we steer them towards some of our great free education. And about half the time, that client will tell us, yeah, I know what I'm doing, silly. <laughs> like I have, I, have my, I have my $5 million over at Merrill Lynch. Right. I have my $200,000 with you. And if this account ever does well, it means I lost all my money at Merrill. Ah. <laughs> so this is, this is my hedging strategy I have with you. you know, so we say, okay, you know, we, we want to check in. And they, that, they're astounded to get the contact. They love us more for it. Sometimes it's a teaching moment, and sometimes it's a learning moment for us. Let's switch and talk about options. Because this is, in my observation, uh, learning how to structure options trades is is a seductive part of the market, uh, extraordinarily seductive. Uh, I haven't spoken much about options on radical personal finance, but I'd love for you to start with describe the concept of what trading options is like and what it actually, uh, the types of trades that people are actually establishing on your platform yeah. and how they work and why people use the use options as a tool in their portfolio. Sure. So options are really well named because options give you options. You can, you know, buying stock, which is what most investors, all they they are exposed to or know about in terms of investing, buying stock or ETFs or mutual funds, you have one strategy, which is I buy something and I hope it goes up. Right. So, so that's one arrow and that's a one arrow quiver. Right. But options allow you to, to essentially, you know, bet on up down, 
sideways, volatile. If you make see or believe any of those predictions, you can lay in an option strategy that if you're right, you can profit from. So you can profit from a prediction that says, I think this stock is going to go exactly nowhere over the next year, or I think it's going to go down, or I think it's going to have a lot of volatility, and I don't know whether it's going to end up higher or lower, but I think this is going to be really volatile. And there are strategies that you can learn for each one of those theses or hypotheses where you can profit. And, and we're centered on giving a lot of free, really high-quality education. Brian Overby is my teammate here who wrote the Options Playbook, uh, which is a f- the only book about options trading that won't put you to sleep, I say. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's entertaining. It's, it's engaging. It's really honest, and it's really carefully divided. Uh, we use a lot of sports vernacular, but it's divided into a rookie's corner, like for trades for beginners that and teach you how to safely enter options trading, uh, more veteran trades, and what we call all-star trades that have more risk but a higher return potential. But So a great example would be this. Let's say there's a stock that you like, that you want to own, that's trading at $50, that you think, you know, if that ever comes down to $45, I'd like to buy it there. I think that's a good price to buy that at, and it'll do well over time. So what a normal, somebody only armed with stock trading tools would do is enter a limit order to buy that at 45 so that it, and, and enter it good till canceled so it stays open forever, mm-hmm. right? And you just wait, and you wait until sometime the market corrects or something happens to make that stock you like come down to your price, and then your order executes. Now you're an owner at 45 So that's a strategy. That's, that's one way, and then you're in the stock you want to be. But if it, by adding options to your strategy, what you can do is you can begin earning income and trading options as an entry point. So you could sell 45 puts on that stock, which is saying I'm, I'm selling somebody else the right to sell me this stock at 45 whenever they want to. And you earn the income from selling those contracts. So you sell those puts, you sell those puts, you sell those puts, and you're making a couple hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks, and one day the stock comes down to 45, and it gets put to you. Now you've bought the stock. Now you own it, but you own it at 45, but really your cost basis is much lower because you made money on the way in. Right. And now we advocate and or try to teach people that then, then you can start to say, now what's my planned exit? Well, I, I thought buying this at 45, I think it's going to go to 60. So rather than just wait, right, and maybe collect a dividend along the way, start selling covered calls, selling, the, selling people the right to buy, buy it from you at 60 and start selling those options and making money that you add to the dividends you create. And then when it gets to 62 you know, you're going to miss the ride from 60 to 62 because somebody's going to put it to you at 60. But your thesis of I want to own it at 45 and sell it at 60, you've executed on that. Plus, you've made money before buying it, and you've made money while you've held it. Right. So when you add all that together, if it's a stock that's yielded 5% during that time, often that investor with those added on option strategies has made 8 or 10%. And it, they're really safe strategies. They're smart if you learn them how, how to do them properly and, and do them when you're covered. You have the money to cover the trade and you're ready. Or you own the stock in case it goes away from you so you don't have to go buy it at some crazy price to cover your trade. If you can learn about the option strategies that are right for you and apply them in scenarios like that, it really can enhance yield, with, with this, especially in an interest rate environment like we're in. That, that difference of a few extra points of return... It's significant. 
So what's the settlement system, the actual infrastructure to settle options contracts? Yeah, so options settle in one day. So you need to have the money available or the position to support the hedging strategy in your account with TradeKing or any other broker before you place that trade, and they settle the next day. And then you have your position, and then it depends. There are different expirations. You can One of the things about options is they have a, a time value, right. right? So you can there are ones that expire every week. There are ones that expire monthly. There are ones called leaps that are long-term ones that you can go out a, a couple of years and and there are two aspects into in what an option contract costs and one is its intrinsic value right so if I want to buy you know uh, the right to buy a stock at, at 45 that's 40 it's got five dollars of intrinsic value why is that a six dollar option because it's got a, a dollar of time value right so you're, you're paying or getting paid for both the real value of the asset plus its time value. A lot of people are concerned about the integrity of the performance of public securities markets. But they go back to, what was it? I don't remember what year it was when we had that flash crash. Um, 2010. Okay, so 2010. May of 2010, yes. Uh, yeah, I would imagine you remember that day. <laughs> I do. I do. I remember it well. It was uh, uh, still, still rather inexplicable, frankly. And, and that's an embarrassment, I think, for the industry that more work hasn't been put into figuring out and making transparent exactly what made that weird gyration happen on that one day. And I think that's, that's, that's odd. But it truly in the you know hundreds hundred plus years of, of publicly traded markets in the U.S., that was one really aberrational fifteen minute period, frankly. Right, yeah. and then also as we record this here on what September eighteen two thousand fifteen, a couple weeks ago we had uh, the thousand point plus. Oh. Drop in the Dow. August twenty fourth. There we yeah. go. <laughs> you remember that day too? Huh? <laughs> that was a fun morning at work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These, these days are. We did. Uh, you know, the Friday before that, things had started to get volatile. We had a record trading day at, at Trade King uh, Friday, August twenty first. That Monday, we set a new record. It was one hundred and fifty percent of the trades we had done the Friday wow. before. It was a crazy, crazy day. Wow. But, but clients who were tuned in did well. Yeah. So many people, it, it, there's, there's in many ways kind of a sense, a feeling that markets are becoming more volatile because yeah. unlike perhaps the way that we envision our grandparents buying and selling stocks where they only bought long and maybe there were a few brokers that would sell them short, but the options marketplace with all the different strategies as far as I know, it was non-existent at that time. Not attainable for a retail investor. Right. Yeah. And so you, you're looking in the newspaper and saying, well, I think I'll go and buy GM this week. Uh, it was a very slow market. And so although there were obviously, there was obviously volatility, it, it feels or there's a sense that things are more frothy, more volatile these days. Do you, is, it, is it mathematically more volatile or is that a misperception? Uh, I think there is there is some more volatility. We're in a different period in history than has ever happened before, with interest rates being so low all around the world for so long. That's never happened. So that is that is muted volatility. But when there's any kind of news that might affect that dynamic, it has created moments or months or days or 15-minute periods of extreme volatility. So I think a lot of it is, is perception, but there, there has been some reality. There are more participants all around the world. So, so uh, and, and 
information used to be the edge. They kept retail clients disadvantaged and the institutional clients advantaged. So when I started in this business, I'm old now, right? So, but when I started in this business in 1991, if you were a retail investor, you got your quotes by reading the Wall Street Journal in the morning or your, if your local paper had in their business section had a quote section, right. you read that in the paper in the morning and then if you wanted to know what was going on during the day, there wasn't even CNBC or that kind right, of thing, right. right? And there certainly weren't websites with streaming quotes. You had to call your stockbroker 10 or 15 times a day and say, where's Apple? Where's Sun Microsystems? Where's, you know, where's GM? Where's Ford? And, 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 and there were whole desks. And I worked on one during my progression in my career where all you did was answer the phone and give people quotes all day. Uh, one of my co-founders worked at a company called Waterhouse. He worked on the news desk where people would call all day and say, is there any news on Apple, any news on GM? Because there was not real-time news anywhere. There wasn't CNN, much less CNBC. didn't exist, right? But institutions, but large, you know, really large investors, they had access to information in real-time. They had quoting of stocks in real-time electronically. So the information edge was tremendous, totally unfair for a retail client. So you were only left with buying something and forgetting about it and literally getting a certificate and putting it in a safe deposit box. That's all you could do. Tremendous disadvantage. Now, now that playing field is really leveled. Everybody gets the same information in real time in a really easy to access, you know, mobile format. And, and so it's fair. So if you want to be in there, you know, you're not being disadvantaged against the big guys, against the institutions. You have the same information they do. There is no information edge. So that creates more players, can create some more volatility and, and, uh, more information through more different streams and things like that. But overall, still buying and holding a diversified portfolio over a long period of time, you can't slice any period of, of 10 or 15 or 20 years in history that that hasn't been a smart thing to do. All right. A lot of people have concerns about, uh, uh, we'll call, well, I'll use the, uh, uh, the marketing words for it, call it the derivatives time bomb. And the idea is a derivative is just simply a, a an asset that's based upon the the movement or the the what happens with another asset class. So something that depends on something else. So with every movement of a stock, uh, as with the explanation of of the different options trades, there might be multiple contracts that are going to be executed based upon a movement of a, of a stock. And so when you start totaling the total value of the derivatives market and compare it to uh, the market cap of the companies, it's a, it dwarfs the, the market cap. I'd love for you to talk for just a couple of minutes about where do you see the market structure that we have right now for settling trades, handling these things, where do you see the strengths and where do you see the weaknesses? Yeah. So I, I, people do talk about that derivative bubble or, or side market or whatever they want to describe it as, as if it's a bad thing. And I, I don't think it is. And people talk sometimes about option trading and derivative trading and the fact that there's speculative, there are speculative strategies you can do that are you know, adding leverage to, you know, that will allow you to control a larger position with a smaller amount of money and therefore amplify your returns up or down. And people think that's a bad thing. It isn't. Because if you, you asked earlier about who's on the other side of a trade I do. Right. Well, so who's on the other side? side of a speculative trade is somebody who's making a really safe insurance bet. 
if you think about it, right? That that's what it is. It's a natural market. So somebody wants to safely protect something, and to to find somebody who wants to take the other side of that, that's somebody who thinks something really really aberrant, really vi- volatile is going to happen with that asset. So it's the same thing that happens in insurance markets. So uh, certainly the value of things that are insured and the trading that happens in insurance vehicles behind the scenes with insurance companies and the companies that they then trade offload their risk to the reinsurance companies it's the same thing there the risk of your homeowner's insurance is spread amongst many parties right layered out there and and you you need and some of them are gambling if you will on a big storm knocking down a bunch of houses right right, right. but you need that if you want to buy a policy that that supports your house you know getting rebuilt in the storm <laughs> right, so right, that right. You, you need speculation to balance kind of the safe strategies. That's a, that's what you call a natural market. So my guess is that your office and your conference room, from time to time throughout the year, have a bunch of charts demonstrating the landscape of in the investment servicing world, and. So I'd like to ask you to give us an overview. Pretend for a moment that I've got $50,000 and I'm saying, I'm going to invest this $50,000. Ignore for the moment what I'm investing in. But I'm considering my options, everything from taking it down to uh, the guy that has the bull on his desk and on his business card and saying, here, you invest my $50,000. I'm considering going to a direct purchase stock plan uh, directly with the companies that I'm considering buying. I'm looking and saying, man, there's some online guys. There's uh, Trade King. There's E-Trade. Uh, I'm looking and saying, well, these, these trust companies are I mean, across the board. How, how do you look at the investment marketplace and kind of stratify these companies serve this space and and how would you encourage that $50,000 investor to just consider the landscape of their options so you want to you want to know yourself right so you want to know how much time do you have to contribute to the process of shepherding your investments through their life cycle? Are you somebody who can tune into an online account once a week or every few months or every night or, you know, so that part of your level of engagement and your time commitment and your interest or passion uh, to do so uh, is part of what that decision is. The more passive you are, the more you need to trust somebody else to to be active on your behalf or to be looking after things on your behalf. So that's one decision you have to make. And then really educating yourself about fees and and what's what people really charge for what essentially are commodities. Again, I, like I mentioned, you get five or fifty or hundred shares of Apple or GM or Ford or AT and T stock from Trade King or Merrill Lynch or through an ETF or that holds a bunch of things. Right. It's the same stock. It's a commodity, right? So if you're you have the time to look and find out the different ways that you can acquire that. And you can do it for $4.95 with Trade King or $9.95 with Ameritrade. Spend the time to ask yourself, why? Why would somebody pay twice as much to do the same trade there? So then you ask yourself, do you like that platform better? Does that have that much more value? Oh, you know what? I see Ameritrade commercials on every night on every channel. <laughs> like maybe I'm paying for an advertising budget right. for, for them to get next year's customers. Right. Like so, just being a smart consumer, like you are anywhere else, you check the price of something in a grocery store. You should shop around and check the price for your financial services and 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 network. Right. So we were the first firm at Trade King to incorporate social media into our uh, trading platform. So we allow our customers to speak to each other, and and we. Uh, we monitor those conversations in case anybody tries to 
give advice when it's not their job or, or, right, or right. try and pump up something that they own and, and do something inappropriate, which rarely happens. But the, the beauty is it brings what used to be a really lonely and, and solitary experience of being an individual investor as opposed to a professional investor who typically sits literally at a desk, a bunch of tables with 20 people who are all doing the same thing and sharing information, sharing charts, sharing news, teaching people their lessons that they've learned. Uh, you know, Teamwork yeah. uh, happens in an institutional trading environment. We've brought that to the retail trading environment. Yeah. So interact with other people. Ask them what works for them. Ask your friends who are in similar positions. Ask your parents. Ask, ask people that you respect, that you see, you think are doing pretty well and are level-headed. Ask what they do. Be willing to say, I don't know. And I want to be involved, but what works for you? And solicit a bunch of opinions, and ultimately something will resonate with you, and, and trust your gut and go with it. It's definitely a different experience when I talk to some from time to time. I like to talk to uh, guys like mutual fund analysts, and, and he, you know they describe. Uh, I went to uh, American Funds in town uh, a few months ago, and I went to one of their presentations. And I was sitting there talking to a couple of the guys that were mutual fund analysts, and he's just describing. Uh, when I was younger, I always thought one of my ideal jobs would be to be a foreign uh, a foreign analyst for a mutual fund company. I just thought that would be awesome. I get to travel to China and go and find, you know, the yeah. gr- the best new companies that are really gonna uh, yeah. really gonna be perfect for our fund. I remember those old Janus commercials, <laughs> right, where it was like, hey, we look through the garbage of people and we talk to the janitors. <laughs> exactly. And like, hey, exactly. find out the real story. Yeah, yeah. it's sexy. It's, it, I, it, it, it always appealed to me. Yeah. Uh, these days, a little bit less, but that really yeah. did appeal to me. But if you look at... Uh, but the point of the story was in talking with them about like their environment. When you've got the senior analyst, you've got the junior analyst, you're putting together your reports, you get in the big room, you say, here's our investment thesis, and then you just take that to the trading team. That's a little bit different of a structure than just me sitting at my computer saying, oh, I'm going to figure this out. So you've got to recognize, uh, and, and that sense of community can be, can be yeah. really so helpful. It bridges the gap. So we offer education, tools, you know, and, and that interactivity. You right. can interact with us, of course, but interacting with peers or people that have been doing investing five years or five weeks or five days or five years or 50 years longer than you, the lessons that you can learn, you know, off of somebody else's putt, if you will, right. follow somebody else's putt, it's so valuable and it's free. Right. It's, it's like, why wouldn't you do it? You know, you can't, all you can do is say, well, I don't like that person's opinion and discard it if you want. It doesn't hurt. It can only help you. All right. Yeah. So final question, and here's your softball. How on earth are you going to stay in business and crush your competitors at $4.95 a trade <laughs> and uh, describe your business plan so that people who are listening, uh, who are trying to figure out you know, who they should work with, would know whether or not you're a good fit? The way I think about it is if I'm running a company that charges half the price of what Ameritrade does, if I work twice as hard as Fred Tomzik, who's the CEO <laughs> of Ameritrade, and everybody in my company does the same, that we can, we can do it. Right? And, and, and honestly, if I'm willing willing to have a company that has a 25% profit margin and he wants to have a 50% profit margin, I'm yeah. okay with that. Right. I'm okay with that. Right. That's a nicely profitable business. We're profitable. We make money. I, we just don't have as high margins as guys who charge a lot more. That's, you know, so if you want to think of you know, companies, people like Sam Walton have uh, you know, made a whole life and a whole career and a whole, changed the whole world with you know, offering value to smart, to smart purchasers. Right? And, then, and we are down here on the ground level. We will talk 
to every single customer that wants to talk to us and just be ourselves and, and, and bring value. And we think that works well. We know it works well because referrals are, are our largest source of new accounts. People telling their friends that, you know, oh, you're going to get involved in self-directed investing. You know who are good people offering a good value and no baloney? It's Trade King. And, and we get a lot of business that way, and that's the most uh, emboldening thing that happens in my life. Well, I love the competition because I tell you, if you go back 50 years or go back about 75 years and you compare the cost of what it used to cost to trade stocks, yeah. and you go back and you think through what the commissions were that you paid when you called up the stockbroker, you know, you watch Pursuit of Happiness and you yeah. think about how much you had to pay him to, to settle your trades, and you think about in today's world that you can pull out your phone and make a trade at four bucks and 95 cents. It's yeah. an amazing world or, we live or in. Or what you have to pay that uh, happiness guy if you want to go to one of his oh, investing yeah. seminars now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's raking it, it in now. I say, I say go to go to Trade King's site or many other sites, but you know the exchanges are good sources of free education, but we have tons of it on our site. You don't have to open an account. It's free for anybody. Go to optionsplaybook.com if you want. It's, it's free content. We want to empower everybody, and we think that you know that our if our introduction to you is giving you some free education and empowering you, you're gonna you know and trust us when you're ready to take that step. Well, Don, this has been fun. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us and having having me on. And uh, hope to catch up with do you. Do you do any like, personal blogging on Trade King, or like you have any kind of personal? I do. Uh, I do. Column so uh, on Twitter, I'm at at Don Montanero, and I have uh, you can find my blog on our website, but it's also DonMontanero.com. I've I think I'm we we think as far as we know, I'm the first CEO of a financial services company in the world with a blog. So I started awesome. it back in 2006. Awesome. I've published 1,500 blogs or blog posts or so. Uh, so I'm available. I'll have, to, yeah. I'll have to connect with you next time I come down to Fort Lauderdale and come cool. by and see. You awesome. Know, see, I'd love to see the operation. Love to have you there. Thanks. Thank you.